John, I don't know why you always like to learn things the hard way. That is a line that my father told me a while back. And it's true. I do like to learn things the hard way. Oftentimes when I was a kid, my dad's words went in one ear and out the other. Except for one time. About a year ago, me and my dad went over to a widow in our congregation's uh, house to go give her the sacrament. In our faith, each Sunday, we partake in the sacrament, which is blessed bread and water. And due to the COVID pandemic, a lot of people weren't able to receive the sacrament in a normal church setting. So we decided to go to her home and uh, give the sacrament to her. Upon arrival, we talked for a little bit, and then we uh, bless the sacrament, and we give it to her, and once all was done, I turned to my dad and said, you ready to go? And he turns to me and he says, you know what, Uh, let's talk for a little bit. And I roll my eyes and I think in my head, oh, here we go. This is going to turn into a 30, 45-minute conversation. And sure enough, we stayed there for another 30, 45 minutes talking with this woman. When my dad finally turned to me and says, all right, I think it's time to go, I was jumping for joy in my head. When we leave the house, my dad, he turns to me and he says something I'll never forget. John, the most important thing we did today was not give that woman the sacrament. It was that we talked with her. That is what she needed. Those words have stuck with me. Those words did not go in one ear and out the other. They stayed. My dad has taught me how to love my whole life. And that one lesson, I did not have to learn the hard way. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brian Blotter. I'm joined here with Brian Blotter, my father. I'm John Blotter, and this is the Everyday People Podcast, and we are going to find out what is in my dad's head. Brian Blotter is an oral surgeon that lives in Clayton, California, which is also the town he grew up in. He swims, bikes, and runs all while juggling his activities in the community, which have included local church leadership, homeless outreach, and support of incoming refugees into the area. He loves his wife, Kimber, and his five sons, along with his three new grandchildren. Thank you, Dad, for having me. And I hope that this will be an enjoyable experience for you as much as it will be for me. I think this will be exciting. Okay, cool. As I explained beforehand, there is an icebreaker segment. Short, breezy questions that require short answers. But you can give a long answer if you so please. So the first one, are you ready? Yes. Okay. A person in history that made you want to change as an individual. 
Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. A person in history that you think you would get along with? My grandfather, the one I never met. Gotcha. A moment in history that you would have wanted to be a part of? The civil rights era would have been interesting. 60s, 70s? 60s, yeah. And one person in history that you wish you knew more about? Harry Truman. Harry Truman. You visited his library. I did. Three times. Three times. And you feel you don't know enough about him? I do. I read his biography, uh, and it was very interesting uh, to me. Uh, he's, uh, and uh, he struck me as a, a guy who was a, um, a hometown guy who um, was um, not really big on ambition, but uh, he had people's values and he had good values, good personal values. And, and uh, it would have been fun to, to shadow him for a week. Yeah. He was grounded in his values. Yes, that's my perception for sure. Definitely. Okay, that concludes the icebreaker segment. And now we're gonna talk a little bit about influence. So as I explained in your bio, you have experience with local church leadership. Do you have any other experiences with leadership in your life? Um, I'd like to say scouting gave me leadership as a youth, but I didn't see it quite so much, even though that's what scouting is all about. Uh, perhaps I didn't. Um, I, I received more leadership opportunities as a young man in church than I did as a young man in scouting. Mm. Uh, Are you grateful for those experiences? Yes, I am. Do you think that gave you a leg up from other kids your age that weren't in the church that you attended? Yes, it did, uh, only because of the values of the church. Uh, you know, you, you kind of combine leadership opportunities with values that uh, uh, I think are elevating uh, that are elevating, um, you combine those two together, it's a more meaningful experience for sure. In regards to leadership, I'm gonna give, to, I'm gonna give you a quote about leadership. Okay. And it's by Niccolo Machiavelli. When his name is said, it's not usually in a good light. Right. But his book, The Prince, is about leadership, and there's things that can be gleaned from it regardless. So here's the quote. He who wishes to be obeyed must know how to command. What do you think about that? I, I don't know uh, about that. Uh, I, 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 I've tried the command route before uh, as when I was a bishop or an elders quorum president or young men's president. Uh, I tried the command route and, and perhaps you can get uh, a little bit of compliance. You can get some compliance, but you're not really winning anybody over mm. with command. Uh, and, and you might get a momentary amount of compliance, but it is not gonna have legs. Do you have an experience that taught you that command was not the way to go as a leader? Working with young men, uh, you could tell them to go here or there or hike up that mountain, but you, you couldn't force them to enjoy it. And, and yeah, they, they can check off that box. I got up to the top of that mountain. 
uh, or whatever. But if, if you're looking to influence them to enjoy it, that um, I cannot do. So how do you now influence, having learned that? Um, I think the best way of influencing others is uh, what I do in my, what I do, when I do with people. For example, uh, I exercise. And I could tell someone to go out and exercise every day, and maybe they'll go once a week or whatever. But if I go with them, I'm influencing them. And uh, my current running partner right now, we, we each comment, you know, thank you for coming, because if you didn't come, I wouldn't be here. And, and, uh, and we both feel the same way, because it's 40 degrees out there. Earlier this week, it was 34 degrees we went running. No way would I have gotten out of bed to go running. And yet, because we had committed to each other that we'd go, we both influenced each other positively. And, and so the only way I can influence somebody now is, is if I go there with them or model what I'm, I want them to do. Modeling. Did you have to learn this from somebody else that modeled for you? Yeah. Yeah, when I look back on my, um, everybody's got personal heroes. Uh, personal heroes that you know and live and interact with. And, and someone will be doing something that resounds with me. They'll have some trait or characteristic. And um, as I watch them model that trait or that characteristic, it if they do it in such a way that I can have a vision that I can see myself do that, I feel like they're influencing me. But if they just say, hey, go do that, you know, and, and you don't show me how or don't give me the confidence I can do it, um, you know, I won't enjoy it and I won't want to do it again. So there's nobody that you would trust enough to take a blatant command from. They would have to be there with you and show that I've done it too. I would have to trust that that person did it at one time themselves. Yeah. And if they can show me how, I, I'm much more willing to follow. Okay. You know, like if President Nelson, if he's asking me to do something, I trust that he's already done it himself. Yeah. I've always, uh, when it came to leadership, I felt like if I was ever to lead anybody anywhere, I had to lead from the front. Had to lead from the front. Had to leave, lead from the front. As a bishop, whenever I asked somebody to do something, like a challenge or something, I made sure I did that challenge before I asked them to do it. Um, because I felt like you had to lead from the front. You couldn't push from behind. Yeah. You lose respect without leading from the front. Yeah. Or, and, and you can't influence if you haven't done it. Exactly. You can't talk about it or teach or, or model. Right. Do you believe leaders that don't lead from the front motivate people out of fear? Like, that's a good reason. I guess that's a good tactic. If you can't do it yourself, you can use fear. Scare them into it. Scare them into it, yeah. What 
do you want people to feel around you with you being the leader? Unity. Unity. Um, camaraderie. And, um, you know, unified sense of purpose. Can you think of any leaders that have done that for you growing up or now? Anyone, anyone who, not just anyone, but anyone who has um, exhibited a characteristic that I value, a, a, a trait that I value, I see as a leader. I'll just give you a um, simple example. Uh, Julie Doman, my next door neighbor, neighbor, she cuts my hair. I see her as a personal hero, not because she cuts my hair, because of what she does while she's cutting my hair. She, she will cut, she'll, she basically ministers to me. She, and she doesn't do it by talking. She does it by asking questions and, and listening. She listens about 90% of the time and she does 10% of the talking. And when I leave, I always walk away uplifted because she, she affirms things that I say, uh, but she, she ministers to me by listening. And, and she models, and I see that as leadership, because she's modeling a behavior that I value. I want to be able to be an effective minister to other people. And she's showing me a better way to do it. And because she does it, I have the confidence that I can do it. Gotcha. Would you say that all these personal heroes you have, do they have a commonality between all of them? They do. What is that? One is um, they've showed me a better way, and they gave me confidence that I can do it too. It's one thing for uh, somebody high and mighty to say, go do that, but if they don't show me how to do it, I, I can't do it, or I'll do it poorly. But if you can show, not just tell me to do it, but show me how to do it, then I'll have the confidence and I'll be able to do it. Yeah. Do you believe that you've been able to influence? That's a good question. Because you really don't, I don't know if I, I influence people. Uh, people might give me a lip service that they, I've influenced them. And, and perhaps the best I can do is I look at my personal heroes and how they do it. I can model what I feel is right. And if I can do it in such a way that it gives them the confidence to do it also, then I feel like I've influenced them. But if I, if I seek out to influence a certain behavior purposely, I don't think I'm that effective. Would you say the people that influence you as a child are different from the people that influence you now. Yeah, yeah. As a child, I read, in the fourth and fifth grade, I read every biography in the elementary school library. They had a whole volume, of, a set of volumes of, you know, Benjamin Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, Abraham Lincoln, 
you know, Sacagawea. You know, I read everybody's biography and because I wanted to be a great person one day. And so how else can you become a great person is read about and learn about great people. You wanted to be found on that bookshelf? Yeah. Yeah, because I thought I wanted to be someone that people wrote about. Uh, nowadays, uh, I, I don't feel a need to be somebody that somebody writes about. Uh, what I, the, the heroes that I have, you know, I admire what Benjamin Franklin did, but he never showed me how to become Benjamin Franklin. And he never gave me the confidence that I could be like him too. But it's the, the everyday heroes, the, 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 my personal heroes. The, you know, your mother, I see traits in her that I want to emulate. I say, wow, she's really nailed this good thing down. And, and I watch her do it. And I, if I watch her enough, I feel like she's leading me by the hand and showing me how to do it too. And it gives me the confidence that I can do it too. Do they ever these personal heroes, when they give you confidence, is it only through example or is it words of affirmation as well? Could be words of affirmation. Uh, definitely could be words of affirmation. It's showing uh, feedback or, or words of affirmation. I, I, I would submit uh, yeah, words of affirmation are very important. These thoughts you have about your personal heroes. How do you catalog these thoughts? Is it through journaling, talking with other people? I, I, uh, I'm beginning to journal a little bit, uh, especially with this, uh, this challenge that Talia, my daughter-in-law, is doing for me. She gives me a question a week, and uh, I, it's like uh, I answer the question, and as I answer these questions, these personal heroes are coming out on the page. Uh, uh, before that, I would just share uh, gems that I learned from people on, with whoever I'm working with or exercising with or yeah. whoever I'm talking to. This project that Talia is doing, is it help you to self-reflect on your past life? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've always been told that writers, you should write down your experiences and I never did. Uh, I did, I had very short spurts of it and uh, but if, if just motivated on my own, I don't do it uh, because I don't think anybody's going to read it. And so I write it down if you're not going to read it. Um, but uh, uh, definitely writing uh, has caused me to reflect uh, and raise, raise me up. Uh, it's helped me to become a better person. Really? Now? Now. Okay. How has it changed you? Well... Uh, if, if I'm writing about loving God and how important that is, if I've spent hours writing that paper, it now becomes more of a focus of my life. It's at the forefront. It's at the forefront. If I didn't spend hours thinking about it, I'm thinking about the drama I saw on last night's TV the next morning, you know, and, uh, or whatever and so yeah I, writing does help me yeah. do you think it's changed your perception of who you were as a child 
Yes. I uh, never really thought about who I was as a child very much. I, uh, I can tell you my best days and my worst days, but I didn't, couldn't tell you about my everyday uh, as a child. You know, I just whatever my experience was, I just thought was normal. Uh, uh, but now I'm, as I reflect back on what influenced me the most as a child, uh, it wasn't necessarily my best or worst days. It was what happened every day. Yeah. And who was that person in between the best and worst days? How would um, you describe you? Uh, well, I, I, I would say the person who had my most, the most influence was my mother. Oh, first this and, person. Okay. First and foremost, and then uh, my father. Uh, his influence grew later. In the beginning, it was totally my mother. Um, yeah. Do you think that was because of you? Uh, that I um, was influenced by one over the other. I no. I think it was uh, time. You know, I obviously had more time spent with my mother earlier. Well, my father worked uh, away from home. He. You know, or it was he was came home at nights, uh, but he was busy in his church callings, and uh, uh, he was busy. Uh, and my mother was more hands-on, yeah. right there. Gotcha. We come with our bags packed, to an extent. Do you believe that? Our bags packed. Ever heard of that phrase? No. Uh, elaborate. It essentially means that we are who we are, in part because of person we were in our past life. Yes, totally. Uh, I believe that there's this nature-nurture thing, and I would call it your bags packed as nature and the influence of those around you as nurture. Uh, so my mother obviously had a lot of power and control over how I was early in life. But as time goes on, the true me, the person I came with, my bags packed with, my nature, I think comes out. Mm. And, and so I'm, I'm still in the act of discovering who I am and, uh, and becoming the person I want to be. Uh, but uh, I think ultimately the person who I really am wins out over the the nurture of my mother and my father but how did that nurture side affect you has it affected you yes yes it, it, it they they in this result you know some you know you look at your parents there are things you say i want to be like that and then you look at your parents and you could say i will never be like that and, and we pick and choose what we want from our parents yeah what did you choose to stay and what did you choose to Oh, uh, I, I chose God. My parents chose God. And, and uh, to, to make it simple, I mean, I could elaborate, but I don't know how. I don't, uh, my parents definitely uh, uh, were converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, uh, and I eventually became converted myself. Uh, and did that answer your question? It did. Okay. It did. Now, if you had to 
Describe yourself in a couple sentences. Who you were as a child, teenager, whatever period of life you're mm -hmm. so pleased to choose mm -hmm. to describe. How would you describe it? As a child, self-interested. Self-interested. It was all about me. Really? How did that manifest? Uh, you know, I was just, just wanted to have fun. I wanted to, um, whatever I did was for, for my purposes. If it was uh, gaining power with earning a lot of money, um, uh, you know, or if it was just like, you know, like a kid, you want a candy bar, you want a candy bar. That's, a, you know, I wanted the candy bar. Uh, so that's where I began, very much self-interested. Yeah. And how do you think your parents would have described you as a kid? Stubborn. Stubborn. Uh, Hard-headed is another term. Um, determined. I overheard, uh, I wrote this in one of my papers. Um, as a child, I, I remember waking up in my parents' bed. I don't know how I got there. Um, but I overheard my parents talking in the bathroom, and they said, they were talking about me, and they said, he's a lot like my grandfather, my, my maternal grandfather, like Grandpa Lim. He's a lot like Grandpa Lim. I didn't know what that meant then. I didn't know what that meant. And as I've learned about Grandpa Lim, I've learned that he was uh, very stubborn, very driven, hard worker, and um, um, not easily moved. And at the time, they were, I think they were a little frustrated with me, whatever I did. I don't recall the context. But when I look back on that, I've tried to use those qualities that I have as for the positive. Yeah. You let the determined aspect and less of the self-interest. Self-interest, yeah. Show through. Right. Okay. Do you believe you're less self-interested? Yes. Okay. Do you think there was a specific turning point in your life where it turned from self-interested to looking outwards? Uh, yeah, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, con it's a, a spectrum, and I feel like I'm moving away from one end towards the other. And then there was this spike during my mission where I spent two years serving God and serving my fellow man and forget giving up on all my own interests. And then when I left the mission, I, I just slipped right back to where I started from before my mission. And, uh, and then I'm, I continued to on this, on this incline to become um, less self-interested. Why do you think you slipped back? Uh, Because on my mission, my focus was on my focus was on God, and I did not fear. When I when I got home, I started to fear. Mm. I started to fear that I, I wouldn't be able to provide a living for my family. I started to fear I wouldn't marry the right person. I started to fear that um, uh, that I would wouldn't have enough. Fear played a big role in my self-interest 
I, I, I like to tell people that I grew up a, as a child of the Great Depression. And I never lived during the Great Depression, but, uh, but my mother did. And, and my mother, we didn't have a lot, even though we were up, a little upper middle income family, I felt like we didn't have a lot. And, um, and I felt like, um, I, I just, maybe it's just natural. I'm not gonna blame this on my mother. Uh, my, my, uh, my natural person, person I came with bags packed Fears. Fears a lot, and the and I'm trying to let go of that fear. And the more fearful I become, the more self-interested I am. Yeah. And what do you fear now? I fear that I I won't do what I've meant been meant to do on this earth. I I fear that I won't love God like I need to, that, that, um, that I, I won't progress fast enough. Uh, I, I fear that, um, that I won't let go of my own uh, desires. I truly desire, I know what I need to do, I just don't know how to get there at the pace I want to get there. These fears you have now, have they been consistent throughout your life? Yeah, I've always feared that I wouldn't have enough food. I've always feared that I wouldn't have enough money. I'm starting to let go of those. I'm starting to see that I will have enough food and I will have enough money. It's taken me 56 years to get here. Uh, and now that's freed me to start worrying about other people. Do you believe this shift in things that you fear is a reflection of the change you've had as an individual? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as I've reached out to serve other people who have a lot less than I have, it's given me the perspective that I have more than enough and I can risk more and give more. So, knowing all of this, how would you describe yourself now as an individual? As someone who's trying, trying hard to um, give up my own desires. I wouldn't say that I've made it uh, by a long shot, but I would say I'm trying. Yeah. You proud of that? I'm, I'm happy that I'm on this trajectory. Yeah. You know you're going in the right direction. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked a lot about perceptions. Who you perceived yourself to be as a child. Who your parents perceived you to be as a child. How do you think people perceive you now? I've wondered. When I was a bishop, I... I uh, my, my style of leadership was very heavy-handed sometimes. Commanding? Commanding. And, you know, I'm, I'm learning, I'm work of progress. Uh, I learned that commanding can get temporary results, but uh, I didn't quite 
um, consider everyone else's feelings. I just thought that, you know, there's where we need to go. Let's get there any which way we can. And, and yeah, I understand that you have feelings that might be distracting, but we need to get to the goal. And sometimes the goal, many times the goal outweighed the importance of, of, of your feelings and how you felt about it. And, and, uh, and so it could be perceived that I was not caring as a bishop or um, more interested in the, the goal than I was in the individual, the growth of the individual. And that's a fair, fair assessment. Uh, I would do things differently next time. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm sure, uh, I believe that some people were relieved when I was released and, and I'm okay with that. I was relieved when I was released. <laughs> There's a lot of aspects about being a bishop I did not like, and I was super relieved. I was only relieved because people could stop calling me a bishop's son. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But yeah that's, that's the only reason why. That's a burden to carry. I, it was one that I blew out of proportion. Yeah, I think so too. But, yeah. but when my father was bishop, I had I've had many of those same feelings. Okay, yeah. so you could empathize yes, with me on that. Yes, totally. Yeah, gotcha. Those people that you think were relieved, do you believe they misunderstood you? Somewhat, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, perhaps they didn't. Uh, maybe they they could see my flaws more easily than I could. Yeah. And um, and uh, but. Yeah, I know. I know I ruffled some feathers. Since then, it's been great because we've been able to um, overcome those any hard feelings and people have, I think, I think I've made, done a great job in helping them long forget that, that uh, you know, whatever passed on before is now water under the bridge. Yeah. Why do you think water is under the bridge now? I... Uh, Because I grew from the experience, I think there's some forgiveness involved. I know there's some forgiveness involved, and and I think other people for, were, grew from the experience too. Yeah. Do you believe you're the same person you were from back then? Four years ago. Uh, no, I'm not the same person. I've grown a lot since then. I'm going to round this idea of perceptions off with my perception. Okay. We've talked about how you perceived yourself as a child, how you perceive yourself now, and how others perceived you at both of those times in your life. But I'm going to talk about how I perceive you. Okay. All of these things have been from the perspective of somebody that just knew you in the bio, that you're an old surgeon that lives in Clayton. And I'm going to talk about one thing that I have perceived in you. Because you have a lot of admirable qualities, but this is one that I've noticed. You can perceive when people need love and you act on it. Do you see this in yourself? Yes. Has it always been like this? No. No. When I was a teenager, I was in this um, seminary film strip. 
and during one of the segments, it was a New Testament year, and they had the they had the story of the Good Samaritan played out in 1980s style high school scenario. And in this scenario, in, in this film strip, my character played the seminary president, the kid who had it all together, who um, he had it all together, and he was the good kid. You know, one of the good kids, one of the good kids. But there was one episode where I played, it was about the Good Samaritan. And I was not, I was the guy who walked by the downtrodden kid in high school. I thought, wait a minute, I don't like playing this role. I don't like being the priest who stepped, walked away and stepped aside. And uh, I didn't want to be perceived as that person. It was very teaching because I had been, I can think of times uh, where I did ignore others, people's feelings. And I didn't like being portrayed as the priest who, who passed by. And, uh, and so that was a teaching moment to me, uh, to not be that guy. And, and I'm not perfect. I'm sure there are a lot of downtrodden people that I've passed by and didn't even know that they had issues. But I try. I try because I don't want to be that guy. Do you think you've always been perceptive of people's feelings after that moment? No. I mean, I, I don't even know when you got your hair cut. I, I, I work with women. Uh, you know, it's very important for them to know. My wife, uh, your mom has given up on me ever noticing she got her hair colored or cut or whatever. She doesn't care anymore because I don't notice it until about two weeks later. So I'm not that perceptive. But if, if you're good at communicating to me in a nonverbal way that you're not doing well, I can see it. You can see it? Yeah. Okay. So you can sense this in yourself to an extent? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. The better I know you, the easier it is for me to see it. Gotcha. Talking about loving others that you notice that are in need of it. How do you want to love others? It used to be um, I wanted to fix them. You know? You know that's that old scene, uh, the nail in the head? Yes. And I'm totally, was totally that guy. This is like, why are we talking about this headache when you've got a nail in your head? Let's take the nail out. And the girl says, you don't want to listen to me, you know? And, and to me, that was so foreign. It's like, she's on Mars or she's on Venus and I'm on Mars and we are worlds apart here on this. Why don't we just fix the problem? And that's the way I've been most of my life. And probably not until the last three or four years after I was a bishop, I gave up on trying to fix people. I, I gave up. And, and I've, I've taken on Julie Domans, you know, 90% listening, 10% talk. I think as soon as I try to fix somebody, it's not going to work. Yeah. 
So how do you want to be loved? Uh, I like it when people listen to me. They don't necessarily have to agree with me. Uh, I like to be heard. Uh, I like acts of service. Uh, you know, if we're speaking on the, the love languages, uh, acts of service, I, I, I like, I like to, someone to take the time to hear me out. And they don't necessarily have to agree. I just feel, have a need to be heard. To round this whole interview off, I'm going to give you a final quote. And this is going to lead into our topic about people in our lives. So the quote is by Jim Valvano. Do you know who that is? A basketball coach? He is. He's a basketball coach. Kentucky or? Yeah, NC State. NC State. Okay, NC State. Okay. He, uh, college basketball coach. I wasn't aware of him until I read his quote. So I'm under the impression that he's just as famous for his quotes as he was for his basketball coaching. Okay. But here's what he said. He said, if you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. What did you think about that? I think that's too much for my brain to wrap my mind. And I'll tell you why. I, that's like laugh, think, cry. That's three things I got to do on my list today. And it's like, I can focus on one. And because I'm simple-minded, you give me one thing to focus on. And if I nail that, that's a good day, a really good day. And if I do that early on in the day, it doesn't matter what happens for the rest of the day. I've nailed my day. So my final questions, who makes you laugh the most? You, John. Really? I can't think of any. You know, sure, I can go listen to a comedian, but on a day-to-day basis, you make me laugh the most. Okay. I'm curious, why is that? Uh, you have stories to tell. And, uh, and you might see a situation that other people don't see anything funny in, and, and somehow you can weave... Or, or portray the story in a way that is humorous. Well, thank you. I did not expect you to say that. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for making me laugh. <laughs> Anytime. Anytime. And who makes you think the most? Uh, I would say a collective group of, of you know, Jesus Christ and the prophets, po- prophets and apostles. They are, they make me think the most. Gotcha. Well, that concludes our interview. I hope this will be the first of many interviews. We were able to discuss influence and leadership and who you perceived yourself to be as a child and now, and also your connections in your life with love, you know? And I hope to discuss a lot more topics with you in the future, if you are willing. I am. I am. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me again, and thank you so much for being on the show. This is Brian Blotter. I'm John Blotter. This is the Everyday People Podcast. Thank Thank you. you. I enjoyed it. Thank you.